Um, today is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, it's celebrated today or next week, one of the two. I've looked it up and it's kind of debated on different churches which uh, Sunday to celebrate. Next week we have a commissioning service we're going to be doing and so we're celebrating Sanctity of Life Sunday this Sunday and um, uh, just to give a fair warning, this is um, a heavy sermon. It's the same sermon I've preached the last few years. Um, it's a heavy sermon, and it's probably going to be a long sermon, too, just to give you warning there. Uh, I really felt the need to preach this sermon because I believe in this past election that seems to keep lingering. Um, we saw and heard a lot of disturbing things. And one of the things that I think disturbed me the most really came from the Christian community and Look, I expect disturbing things to come from non-Christians because that's part of the character of a non-Christian. Someone that's spiritually dead acting um, the way that their nature is is, shouldn't be surprising to us. What's surprising to me is those that claim to be Christians that say things and do things that's contrary to their nature or supposed nature. And one of the things that I heard a number of times from this past election was something along the lines that abortion isn't the only thing we should be voting on. That there are many social issues that we should be looking at within society. Now, I agree that there are many other issues, but that really disturbs me because I don't think Christians understand what abortion truly is. And so today my goal is to look at this subject very in-depthly, and that's why it's going to be a longer sermon. And... um, There's really three topics I want to discuss this morning. The three topics are this. The first one is a worldview where abortion makes absolutely no sense. A worldview where abortion makes absolutely no sense. The second topic I want to look at this morning is a worldview where abortion makes sense. And the last topic is the heart of the argument for and against abortion. So let's start with that first topic, a worldview where abortion makes absolutely no sense. And of course, this is a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is a story. Really, it's a grand story, or what philosophers call a meta-narrative. It's a story that defines us, defines who we are. It's a story, but it's a story that's not about us. We're not the main character. In fact, the story doesn't start with us. It starts with God. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. The story is about God. And this is where we have to start with God. Colossians says everything was created by him and for him. It's a story about God. Listen, a biblical worldview is radically God-centered, not man-centered. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In day one, he created light, and he did that by just speaking Day two, he stretched out the heavens. Day three, earth and vegetations. Day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day five, swarms and swarms of living creatures. Day six, land animals. And lastly, he created man. Then he gave man everything and said, have dominion. Which leads to an interesting question that I've asked before. Why did God create man last? It's because man was the pinnacle of God's creation. 
Even though the story is not about us, listen, man is the pinnacle of God's creation. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, in fact, that God said, let us make man. This is one of the first glimpses that we have of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God said, let us, let us make man. See, everything else was made with a command. Let there be light. Let the waters bring forth. Let the earth bring forth. But with man, he said, let us make man. One theologian put it this way. It should be noted that a divine counsel or deliberation preceded the creation of man. Let us make man. This again brings out the uniqueness of man's creation. In connection with no other creature is such a divine counsel mission. Everything else was made from authority. Right? God said, let there be light. Let the earth bring forth plants and animals. But with man, he was made out of affection. Let us make man. God counseled with himself before making man. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit made man out of his affection and said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In other words, let's, let's, let's make him like us. Right? Our image, our likeness. Man was made to image God. Meaning the creation of man glorifies God more than anything else that God has created. The creation of man glorifies God. Because man is like God in certain respects. He images God. How? How does man image God? Well, this is debated because Genesis doesn't specifically say how, but maybe because of our intellect, our reason, our will, emotions, language, ethics. We don't know for sure exactly why or how man images God, but we know one thing for sure. Because man images God, man is valuable. In fact, Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. In a biblical worldview, man and animals have similarities, even made on the same day. But man was made differently. Man was made with the thumbprint of God. Man was made with God's image story is not about us. The man is valuable because we image God. That's why murder is wrong. Because man has value and dignity being image bearers of God, yet it's okay to hunt, even eat animals. Because animals are not made in the image of God. One theologian said this, the reason why murder is here said to be a horrendous crime so that it must be punished by death is that the man who has been murdered is someone who imaged God, reflected God, was like God, and represented God. Therefore, when one kills a human being, not only does he take that person's life, but he hurts God himself, the God who is reflected in that individual. To touch the image of God is to touch God himself. To kill the image of God is to do violence against God himself. 
In a biblical worldview, human life has dignity and value. And human life is more valuable than animal life or plant life. If man images God, therefore, murder is wrong. In fact, murder is a horrendous evil. Also, in a biblical worldview, that value or that image starts within the womb. The Bible clearly assumes the unborn baby is a person made in the image of God. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Psalms 22.10 says this, On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Psalm 139.13, For you have formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Psalms 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Judges 13.7, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb the day of his death, full span of human life, the womb of the day of death. Isaiah 49.1, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, who named my name. Exodus 21.22, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so that her child come out premature, but there is no harm. The one who hits her shall surely be fine, as a woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, in other words, if the baby dies, comes out dead, then you shall pay life for life. I can go on and on about verses that that show and imply that the human baby is a person. The Bible is clear that human life starts in the womb, which leads to an important question. When? When in the womb? I believe the Bible teaches, or at least implies, that life starts at conception. Hebrews 2.17 says this, Therefore he, is talking about Jesus, Therefore Jesus had to be made like his brothers, like a human, in every respect. Jesus experienced, in other words, the full span of human experience. Well, when did that experience start? Conception. Luke 1.30 says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The Greek word for conceive here means to become pregnant. At the moment Mary became pregnant, in other words, Jesus' human life began. Matthew 1.20 says this, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Conceived here is actually a different Greek word, word, different word Matthew uses than Luke does. It emphasizes the male's role in conception. 
either way, Jesus' life started at conception. So think about it. If Jesus experienced the full span of, of human life or human experience in every respect, the implication is human experience starts conception. In a biblical worldview, human life has dignity and value. And in a biblical worldview, human life and personhood starts at conception. Therefore, in a biblical worldview, abortion makes absolutely no sense. In fact, in a biblical worldview, abortion is murder. Murder is defined the innocent or the intentional killing of an innocent human. The word innocent is important. Capital punishment is not murder. Intentional killing of an innocent human. Albert Moeller says this, In the world of the Bible, every single human being and life is sacred because of God. And every single human life is sacred because every single human being is made in the image of God. You see, in the biblical world, we come to understand that every one of us has dignity. Not because in ourselves we deserve dignity, but because we are made by a sovereign, all-powerful, and holy God who made us in His image. The story of the Bible is about God. It's not about us. But man is valuable because man images God. And that value and dignity starts in the womb. In the biblical worldview, abortion makes absolutely no sense because abortion is murder. Which leads us to our second topic this morning, a worldview where abortion makes sense. This is a secular worldview. Before I get started, I just want to make very clear what matters when it comes to the argument about abortion is not what we think or say the fetus is. It's what the fetus truly is that matters. If the unborn baby is a person, then abortion is murder. No matter what we think or say. No matter what you call the fetus. That's what R.C. Sproul says. The fetus is either alive or not alive. The fetus is either human or not human. The fetus is either a person or not a person. What I think the fetus is does not determine what the fetus actually is. The fetus is a living person, but I do not believe or think that it is a living person. My thoughts have no bearing on what the fetus actually is. Just a side note, you've heard me say this before. Fetus is just Latin for unborn human baby. In fact, if you Google search fetus right now, the first thing that will pop up is an unborn offspring of a mammal, in particular, an unborn human baby. So... If you're ever talking with someone and they keep using the word fetus, just ask them why they're speaking Latin. Say, hey, let's speak English. Unborn human baby. Pastor Andy says, whether we call abortion murder depends on whether we call the unborn baby a person. But whether abortion is murder depends upon whether the unborn is a person. Being a person is simply being called a person are not the same thing. 
So just because a worldview can make sense of abortion doesn't make abortion right. But I want to look at this worldview for two reasons. First, I want to expose a false belief. That's my calling as a pastor. You've heard me quote this many times, Titus 1.9. He must hold um, firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may get, be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So I want to expose this false belief, this false worldview. And second, I want you to see the absurdity of this worldview. Listen, any worldview that denies God and his word will end in absurdity. It's a presuppositional argument for the existence of God, in fact. Without God, you can't prove anything at all. You're just left with absurdity, nonsense, arbitrary opinion. But let's look at a modern secular worldview. Secular worldview can be defined as a humanistic philosophy or life stance that embraces empirical observation, human reason, and philosophical naturalism as the foundation of reality, while specifically rejecting religious dogmas, supernaturalism, pseudoscience, and superstition as the basis of morality and decision-making. In other words, truth is found in the natural world through reason and empirical observation alone. Empirical observation is just a fancy word for your five senses from observing and using reason alone. Truth is not found in revelation, God revealing something, in religion or supernaturalism, therefore not God or his word in a secular worldview. So here's the scary question, and this is a scary question. If man doesn't find his value and dignity in imaging God, where does man's value come from? The best answer secular humanism has been able to give us is that man is more evolved, therefore more valuable. This worldview has adopted evolution as its primary theory of man. In fact, its anthropology is seen through the lens of evolution, anthropology, the study of man. In a secular worldview, man's worth comes from his utility developed by evolution. Utility is a word that means our usefulness our capabilities, our rationality, our self-consciousness, our ability to communicate, and so on. Man is more evolved, therefore, is more valuable. There's two things that should scare us about this logic, and I'll state them in questions. The first one is this. What about human beings that aren't as capable as others? The second question is this. Who gets to define what utility is? So let's look at these two questions. The first one, what about human beings that aren't as capable as others? Logical conclusion, not as valuable. Nuclear physicist Winston Duke says this, a reasonable philosophy would define a human being as life which determines utility, self-awareness, volition, rationality. Thus, it should be recognized that not all men are human. It would seem to be more inhumane to kill an adult chimpanzee than a newborn baby since the chimpanzee has greater mental awareness. Haven't we seen this in the news lately? A young kid who's stuck with a chimpanzee and they deciding which one is more valuable after they kill the chimpanzee. be logically argued that an adult chimpanzee is more valuable than a newborn baby because the chimpanzee has more utility, self-awareness, 
volition, rationality, and so on. According to Peter Singer, heard this guy's name before, who was, I don't know if he still is, he was last time I preached this, the professor of bioethics at Princeton University. That's not some crazy college. says it this way. He calls it speciesism. Peter Singer, if we compare a severely defected human infant with a non-human animal, a dog or a pig, for example, he will often find the non-human to have superior capabilities, capacity, both actually and potentially. Rationality, self-consciousness, communication, and otherwise, or anything else that can possibly be considered morally significant. Humans who bestow superior value on the lives of all human beings solely because they are members of their own species are judging along the line strikingly similar to those used by white racists who bestow superior value on the lives of other whites merely because they are members of their own race. In other words, racism is like speciesism. Again, if man doesn't get his value from imaging God from outside of him, where does this lead? Peter Sr. believes that those who regard the interests of the woman as overriding the merely potential interests of the fetus are taking their stand on a morally secure position. In other words, abortion is morally justifiable, and here's the logic. The fetus is so incapable has so little utility that the mere preference of the mother is more valuable than the fetus itself. Typical pro-life argument and logic. Where does this logic lead? Well, Peter Singer, and this is the reason we use Peter, Peter Singer a lot, is because he's consistent and honest. One thing I appreciate about him. Furthermore, the situation is unchanging for the newborn child who does not understand what life is about and therefore can have no preference in the matter. If no one else has a preference that the child should live, right? In other words, no one wants the child. Infanticide within the first month of life can be morally justified. A child may not be wanted for various reasons such as gender and or inherent diseases. You better believe this is where we're heading as a culture. And America's leading the way. Right there with China. Remember, this is a professor of bioethics at Princeton University. We get our worth from our capabilities, our utility. Then what about human beings that aren't as capable as others? Unborn infants, elderly, the mentally handicapped. In a modern, secular worldview, at best, this is not an easy question to answer. At worst, they are not fully human. Which leads to the second question. If utility, capabilities, determine our worth, then who gets to define what utility is? During the time of Roe versus Wade, which was 1973, there is two very influential books on bioethics written by a man named Joseph Fletcher. He was a professor of bioethics at Harvard University. Again, these aren't just random people I'm quoting here. 
In these two books, Joseph Fletcher identified personhood with a minimal degree of human consciousness and intelligence. Roughly a minimum score of 20 on the Bennett IQ scale. Obviously, he notes, a fetus cannot meet this test no matter what its stage of growth. Therefore, abortion is morally justifiable. Think about that for a second. How arbitrary is that? 20, why not 15? Why not 25? Why not 30? Who made this man God to determine 20 on an IQ test is what gives man personhood, value, and dignity. Listen, if man doesn't get his worth from an outside source, from God, then man is the one who gets to find value and personhood. He becomes the ultimate authority on value and dignity. And here's where it gets scary. If man, not God, is the one who defines value and personhood, the man has the ability to change that definition. History has proven man is willing to do so. Hitler did it in Nazi Germany. One historian said this, in the 20th century we can look at a long parade of horrible terrors. And one of the easiest to identify is the medical ethics of Germany before and during the Third Reich. There, the Germans actually had a medical philosophy called life unworthy of life. That formed the foundation of their uh, murderous atrocities. The Germans actually came up with a graduation of life. And the life that was worthy of life was the Aryan life. It was the life of those who were considered to be physically and genetically superior. Who could contribute to the welfare and the defense of the policies of the Third Reich. Now, does that sound familiar? Man's worth, utility, or capabilities. They believed that Aryan race was physically and genetically superior, more capable. And the life unworthy of life were the gypsies, the homosexuals, the mentally retarded, the physically disabled, and the Jews. Albert Muller comments on this. We look back at the Third Reich and the German medical ethics that produce it, and we ask, how could it be that agents of medicine and doctors turned into agents of death rather than agents of life? It's because they bought into a worldview in which there is a progression from life that is worthy of life, life that is unworthy of life. Well... If you can do that in terms of Jews and of gypsies, in terms of others, then you can certainly do that in terms of various stages of human development. If man, and not God, is the one who defines value and personhood, the man has the ability to change that definition. Nazi Germany did it. Life unworthy of life. Modern America is doing it. The unborn baby is a life unworthy of life. If that unborn baby is not wanted. You know what? Before we judge Adolf Hitler in Germany, 60 million babies killed in our country. In a secular worldview, abortion makes sense because the unborn child is life unworthy of life. It's a worldview that makes it possible for 21% of all pregnancies in the U.S. to end in abortion. 
well over 60 million killed since 1973. A whole generation just gone. Bigger than most nations. Wiped off the face of the earth. Listen, worldviews matter. Theology and doctrine matters. It's what shapes worldviews. Bold and sound teaching from the scriptures matter. You know what's crazy? I, this is the stat that gets me every single time I go through this, this sermon. Only 48% of self-identified evangelicals, in other words, people that consider themselves evangelicals, would say I'm an evangelical Christian, only 48% agree with this, this following statement. Abortion is sin. Meaning 52% disagree with that statement. That's not even saying abortion is murder. That's just saying abortion is sin. 48%, that's it. By the way, that's a deeply theological statement. Abortion is sin. The evangelical church should be ashamed of itself. The least, I mean, the bare minimum we can do is call abortion what it truly is. We really need pastors and Christians and Christian leaders to boldly call abortion murder. Let me finish where I started in this point. What matters when it comes to the argument about abortion, it's not what we think the fetus is. It's what the fetus actually is that matters. If the unborn baby is truly a person, abortion is murder. Leads me to my last point, or last topic. The heart of the argument for and against abortion Really, the heart of the argument is what we've talked about already. It's a clash of worldviews. A biblical worldview where God is the foundation of reality. Where God determines worth. Where God determines when life starts. And, and it's where abortion makes no sense because abortion is murder versus a secular worldview. Where there is no God. Meaning there is no image of God. Meaning man determines man's worth. Man is the one who gets to define life worthy of life and life unworthy of life. Thankfully, and we should be thanking God for this because we're losing it, most people you talk to that are Christians and not Christians haven't adopted a purely secular worldview yet. In other words, by God's common grace, the law written on people's hearts, most people you talk to about abortion still believe that all human life has value. We're losing that. Many that would see human life less valuable than animal life and even plant life now. But for the most part, most people you talk to, I think, would say that all human life has value. Therefore, when you talk to people about abortion, you should have two goals. The first goal is this. Share the gospel. In fact, when you talk to anyone that's not a Christian, share the gospel. In fact, if you talk to anyone that is a Christian, share the gospel. Evangelize and disciple. That's our first goal. The gospel is our only hope to change our culture. Politics won't do anything. 
gospel is our hope. Good news of Jesus Christ. Secondary goal. Because of God's common grace upon all humanity, we need to help people see the inconsistencies in their worldview. Help them see the absurdity of the pro-abortion, pro-choice position. How do you do that? Well, I want to spend some time preparing us for conversations we may have. Let me start by saying this. The burden of proof for personhood is on the pro-choice position, not the pro-life position. In other words, the pro-choice position needs to, to prove that the unborn baby is not a human person. The burden of proof is on them, not us. Why? Well, if all human life has value, if you're starting there, you have that common ground with someone you're talking with, then the pro-abortionist has a moral responsibility to prove that the unborn baby is not a human beyond a shadow of a doubt before supporting abortion. Why? Let me give you an analogy that I think will help you understand why. If a hunter were to see movement behind a bush and shoot at it, without being sure, and I mean absolutely sure, that that movement wasn't caused by another human, such an action would be morally irresponsible at best. Think about it. Regarding abortion, any doubts concerning the humanity of the unborn child should be resolved in favor of the developing human life. Any doubts. That key phrase, any doubts. Side note, I'm not an evidentialist. I, I believe the Bible is our ultimate authority, not man's autonomous reasoning. Therefore, I believe the unborn is human because of the scriptures we went over before. The Bible is clear on that. I believe it. We should believe it. But I just want to look at the empirical observation that's your five senses and reason because they're tools by God. Let's look at where empirical observation and reason leads us. In other words, the science. The unborn embryo has its complete separate genetic code at conception. In other words, the embryo has what biologists say a biological fingerprint right at conception. At conception, there is a unique individual. Their hair color is determined. Their eye color, when they're going to lose their hair, is determined. Their height, all established at conception. Neither the egg nor sperm has all genetic characteristics alone. Each have 23 chromosomes. But at the moment of conception, they combine and make 46 so that a unique individual human being begins the process of personal development. And nothing from that point on in the genetic makeup of that person changes from conception. In other words, we have the same biological fingerprint from conception on. By the way, is that amazing? I just go on and on about the human body, but I don't have time. I, I got to say this. What we're made of is not that valuable. I, I forget, I used to know, like, you could take down everything, the proteins and everything that you're made of. It's, it's just mostly water. 
It's not that valuable. It's how it's put together that's valuable. It's exactly what the biblical worldview says, that God came down from the dust and organized it to make man. That's amazing. In fact, as soon as the spirit leaves the body, it goes right back to dust. It's the organization of our body that's amazing. And then God breathes life into it. We have a spirit made in the image of God. The only change, keep going. The only change that takes place in the growth is growth and development of a particular human individual. The process of growth and development that this individual undergoes continues into infancy, childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. Thus, fertilization or conception is is the point at which a new human life begins. Again, the burden of proof is on the abortionist, the pro-choice position. That the fetus is not a person without any doubts. If there's any doubts, it should lead to the protection of the unborn child. After three weeks before most women know they're pregnant, there is the discernible heartbeat. At this point, the heart circulates blood within the embryo that is not the mother's blood. The blood of the unborn baby has produced. After about six weeks, the embryo is still less than an inch long. It has undergone considerable development. Fingers have have formed on the hands. At 43 days, the unborn baby has detectable brain waves. After six and a half weeks, the embryo is moving. However, because of the tiny size of the unborn baby and the thickness of the mother's abdominal wall, she does not sense movement until several weeks later. By the end of nine weeks, the fetus has developed a unique set of fingerprints. Sexual organs have appeared. By the end of 12 weeks, all the organs of the body are functional. First trimester, three months. And you're telling me without a shadow of doubt, human life doesn't start with human. No, you're not fooling anyone. Everyone knows it. The people that say that, they, that it doesn't, they're just suppressing the truth. Unrighteousness. In fact, abortion has gone way down in modern times because of the uh, ultrasound. You can see the little human life in there. Obvious unborn baby is a person. Listen, once that's established, all pro-choice arguments fall apart. They do. I'll look at five common pro-choice arguments. We could go through a bunch more. I get all these from Pastor Andy. Let's just go through them. They should be on the screen. The first pro-abortion or pro-choice argument, you can't legislate morality. That's true. You can't. You can't make people morally good, in other words, through laws. Laws don't change people's hearts. Can't legislate morality. Well, here's a pro-life response. Yes, but there must be laws to regulate deeds. Does this mean we do away with all laws that have moral foundations? Do we now make murder legal? We are not trying to make people develop a moral character by making and enforcing laws. That's the role of religion and discipleship. 
We are trying to prevent people from doing things that endangered others' lives, regardless of how they feel about it. You know, what's funny about this, it's the same argument that was used during the civil rights movements in the 60s. Here's Martin Luther King Jr.'s response. We hear the familiar cry that morals can't be legislated. This may be true, but behavior can be regulated. The law may not be able to make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me. Anti-abortion laws may not be able to change people's hearts about the rightness or wrongness of abortion, but they can keep people from murdering the unborn. Pro-abortion or pro-choice argument too. What about tolerance? Shouldn't we be tolerant? Isn't the mother's body, or isn't or it's the woman's body, and we shouldn't force her to have a child? Response. Don't pro-abortion laws allow some people to force death upon unborn? You don't believe in restricting a woman's choice, but you have no problem restricting the life of the unborn? Isn't the most severe restriction of all to be killed? Isn't the most intolerant action of all murder? If If you are really against force, why do you want to force death upon unwilling millions? You know, the pro-choice has been seen as a pro-woman argument. You hear the phrase, her body, her choice. Listen, if you're truly pro-woman, you shouldn't be pro-choice. In fact, you should be anti-abortion. China has almost wiped out a whole generation of women through abortion. Millions and millions of women killed in America. What about their choice? What about their bodies? Pro-abortion argument three. I am personally against abortion, but I don't want to be—I don't want to impose my personal views on others. Response: Why are you against abortion? If you believe the unborn is a person, why would you not protect innocent human life by passing a law against abortion? Suppose the KKK wanted to begin lynching again. Would you be imposing your values on them by making and enforcing laws against lynching? Suppose a neo-Nazi party arose and wanted to begin exterminating Jews again. Would you be imposing your values on them by restricting their activities? Pro-abortion argument four. A woman should have reproductive freedom. Response. She does. Abstinence. Non-abortive contraceptives. Motherhood. Adoption. All these statistics are so heartbreaking. One of the saddest I've seen is in 2014, there were 17.3 adoptions per 1,000 abortions in America. This sits close to home for me. I was an unplanned pregnancy. Mom getting encouraged to have an abortion. Given up to for adoption. Thankful for her. 2000 or 19, 
83, the highest years that America ever had in abortions. The 80s, millions of my contemporaries not here, killed, murdered. blessed by God to be one of the 17.3. Pro-abortion, argument five. But the unborn fetus is so different than an infant or an adult human. It's different in size, development, dependence, mobility. You are telling me that an unborn baby should have the same rights as a newborn baby. Response. What about the pre-adolescent child whose reproductive system is not fully developed? Is it less terrible to kill a smaller, less developed child than a larger, more fully developed one? All human life is in the process of development. Well, the unborn is dependent and immobile. Response. Is it less evil to kill a dependent and immobile victim? someone paralyzed or someone on a ventilator than an independent and mobile one? In fact, in some ways, it's more evil to kill an immobile, dependent person. Dependence and independence are not morally relevant. We can keep going. Um, in fact, online, if you have the questions for small group. I have seven arguments and responses. But once you establish that the unborn is a person, which is clear both biblically and empirically, the pro-abortion arguments fall apart after that. Abortion is murder. Again, what matters when it comes to the argument about abortion is not what we think the fetus is. Or what we say the fetus is. What matters is what the fetus actually is. Fetus is an unborn human baby. Made in the image of God. With value and dignity. Therefore, abortion is murder. I want to end differently than I've ended in the past. This is such a heavy topic and... To be honest, it's depressing. It's overwhelming. And I want to end us with just some hope. And so I want to end with what you can do. Each and every one of us can do something. What can you do? It seems overwhelming, but, but what can you do? The first thing is this. Submit yourself to God. Trust Him. Put your faith in Him. Obey Him. Follow Him. Delight in Him more than anything else in this world. Follow Him. In other words, be a Christian. Be a follower of Christ. Boldly share the gospel. And the gospel is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. It completely turned the world upside down in the first century the ugly pagan nation of Rome to the cradle of Christianity. Share the gospel boldly. 
Second thing you can do is don't forget. It's so easy to forget. Don't forget. Over 60 million babies killed, ripped out of the mother's womb limb by limb. There's a reason why Nazi Germany put the concentration camps outside of the towns, away from people. So it wouldn't be seen. So easy to forget. To put this out of our minds. These abortions not seen. Usually happens before we even know someone's pregnant. It's out of sight, therefore it's easily easily can be out of mind. That's what John Piper says. When you use your imagination to see what abortion really is. Fight against the kind of social stupor that gripped Nazi Germany. The feeling that the problem is so huge and horrendous and so out of our control, they just can't be wrong. So easy just to ignore it. Use your imagination to see and feel what is really happening behind those clinic doors. Otherwise, out of sight and out of mind. Just like Auschwitz. Concentration camps of World War II. Proverbs 24.12 says this. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Third thing you can do. I want to talk to you in this room who have had an abortion. You know, a few years ago, I first two times I preached this, I said, I don't know one person in this room that's had an abortion. Last year I said that and preached the sermon and I had a number of you come up to me and say I've had an abortion. Or men come up and say I was a part of abortion. I want to talk with you. If you have had an abortion or have been a part of an abortion, men, trust that you are forgiven. You hear me? If you have put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven. If you haven't put faith in Christ, your sins aren't forgiven. You need to do that. That's not a joke. If you put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Don't let the guilt of your sin make you ineffective for the kingdom. It's exactly what Satan wants. Can you imagine if Moses did that? He murdered someone. He looked left and looked right, the scripture says, and murdered him. Premeditated. David. Paul. Listen, you are forgiven. Trust and rest in God's forgiveness. Be free from the guilt and shame not because you're such a good person in fact you're not (laughs) none of us are we're all sinners but only because Christ has freed you from that guilt and I'm not saying 
the feeling of guiltiness, true guiltiness. He died on the cross to pay the penalty. You put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Psalms 103 says this, as far as the east is from the west. You've heard me ask this, how far is that? The point is infinite. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Listen, you are forgiven, but listen, I'm challenging you. Speak up. Warn people. Do whatever it takes to make sure these young girls and young men in this room don't fall for the same lie you did. Fourth thing you can do. Support alternatives to abortion. Support adoption. We have an adoption culture here in this church. I'd like to see it grow. God's putting that in your heart. 17.4 for a thousand. Support abortion. Maybe you're past that age or you, you don't feel God's calling your life to, to, to adopt, support those that are adopting. Encourage them. Help them. Adoption has become so expensive. Maybe give money towards them so they can, they can afford it. Support the Family Life Pregnancy Center. We are blessed with an amazing one here in town. Support them financially. Maybe volunteer. See what they can use. Support those that find themselves in unplanned pregnancies. And this is where I think we can really make an impact. We have so many resources here at this church. And I'm not talking about just money, material resources. I'm talking about love. Maybe we partner with the pregnancy center. I don't know. Pray that God puts it on our heart, something. Like loving those that find themselves in unplanned pregnancy, believers or not. Loving them. Using our resources to help young ladies and men that have found themselves in unplanned pregnancy, pleading for individual lives, saving lives of the unborn and the innocent by our love and compassion. those moms and dads in a difficult situation. Lastly, and I think this is the most important one, pray. Pray earnestly and regularly. Pray that abortion would end. And this is overwhelming, right? When you think about this, what could we do? It's just, it's so massive Listen, God is bigger. Pray. Pray that the church would wake up. The horrors of abortion. Pray that pastors and church leaders would speak boldly and call abortion what it is. Pray for revival in our country and culture that we would repent and turn back to God. 
pray that God would forgive us as a country. You see a pattern in the Old Testament and New Testament. I don't think America's Israel. You see it with nations that aren't Israel. God's judgment coming on them. I think we're feeling it. We need to pray for God's forgiveness. We need to pray for the hearts of those in our government. We need to pray for the hearts of the common person. That there would be revival, that they would turn to God, that the gospel would spread in our country. We've seen whole countries and cultures turn to the power of the gospel. We need to pray earnestly for that. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, this topic is so overwhelming, God. In fact, when I when I talk about it, when I study it, when I think about it, Lord, I just feel so small. And I'm thankful you're not. I'm thankful that you hear our prayers. God help us, Lord. Help us as a church do our part. Living for you boldly, Lord. Living lives that just look different than the, the, the normal life on the street, Lord. Sharing the gospel boldly with our neighbors and friends. Lord. The good news of Jesus. Help us to love anyone, Lord, that finds himself in a pregnancy, Lord, that they didn't plan. If they know that they're not alone, that we, we will be with them love on them. Give us that heart, God. I pray for that. God, I pray for those in here that have had an abortion, Lord, and I know I know that they're here. God, I pray that they cry out to you for forgiveness, and if they have done that in their life, Lord, I pray they rest in that forgiveness. Not because of anything they have done, but because of what you have done on that cross. God, I pray that this atrocity, genocide that's happening in our country, I pray for that. 